Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Remotely Serious podcast. I don't know when you're going to be hearing this, but for me, it has turned to fall and we had a few episodes without guests and we're kicking off a whole new series with a bunch of great guests. So I'm super excited about our first guest of the fall season, really. It's uh, it's Mine, someone I have uh, met this year uh, at Running Remote Conference earlier this year. She is the founder of the Vivel Network, as well as her own uh, consultancy and company, which she can say a little more about, but that's Happy Work Studio. And I believe that's in Istanbul. Is that right, Mine? You're in Istanbul? Yes. I mean, majorly based in Istanbul, but all over the world. Like, that's what remote work is giving us as a benefit. It is the classic question of, you know, where are you from? Where are you based? Where is your company located? Sometimes the answer is not so easy. I'm working on a few projects and um, a, a company I'm working with, Lemon Squeezy, I think almost every employee and or contractor or team member, I guess is the, the, the catch-all term for it, almost every team member is in a different country. I think there's 12 different countries. So it's hard to say, you know, what, what matters? Where is the corporate entity? Where is the incorporation? Where is the CEO? Um, and as we'll probably exactly. discuss over the next 45 minutes, the answer is not so clear anymore. So um, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, your background um, as a Turkish person and also a remote worker. Um, when did you first get interested in remote work? Where did you go first? Um, were you in Turkey kind of as your, your, your home country before you went somewhere? Or what was the first second country that got you interested in kind of the, the world out there of working remotely abroad from wherever you're from? Uh, it was back in 2012. I was actually like working in corporate for the first seven years of my career, professional career. I was in electronic retailers. My last company was um, the U.S. Best Buy. And so I was I bought, part of I bought the, lots the, of things from that company. So lots of uh, trips <laughs> to U.S. Best Buy to buy things when I lived in New York, especially. I mean, I still, it's like, you know, it's in my heart, the company, the culture and everything. I mean, that was actually my, you know, ultimate dream when I was in the electronic retailer industry. It was my ultimate dream to work for Best Buy. And it happened. The dream came true, but didn't last long because they um, just decided to and uh, the international operations. And so I was part of the, the SAP uh, rollout team. I was the AIS manager back then. And so it was like perfect timing for me because I was pregnant to my first son. So when they said, okay, we're just like, you know, closing the operations, we're shutting down. It was like, I was almost like four months into pregnancy. So I said, okay, this is like a gift from the universe. And I said, okay, I'm going to find my way, but not going back to corporate. That was one thing that was certain for me so that no, not going back to corporate because even on the first day of my uh, career I was like telling people that okay I'm going to do my own business someday but let me just like you know, learn things how to do things and so everything started like that because I was looking for an idea to just like you know start and to start my own startup and it was the first uh, business was a digital invitation website and so my inspiration was Green Develop, and I started building the website without knowing anything. Now, 
at this moment, I'm a startup mentor. I am just like giving training about lean startup, which I had no idea about back then. So I was like trying to find my developer and my designers on the freelance platforms. And um, there was Elance and Odesk back then. They then merged into being uh, the, the Upwork company. But back then it, they were like two separate companies. I was hiring freelancers. And at that moment, I just like, you know, realized that there's this world of being a freelancer. So I started freelancing myself. And just like with that expertise in the retailer, marketing, um, IT, I started um, just bidding for the gigs and started being in the gig economy. And that's how everything has started. And I became the representative, country representative for Elance. And I was like the startup mobilizer, just doing events, uh, hosting events, sponsoring events, doing future work, conferences. Uh, so uh, it became my thing. So I was like talking about the gig economy, the, the freelancing and just like remote work, being flexible, you know, parallel careers and everything. And so that's how everything started for me. And then it, you know, evolved in time. I then uh, was a country manager for a um, French company, Start of Service. And then I was a country manager for Crossover. Crossover is still one of the largest uh, remote work talent pools in the world. So I was given the role of um, talking about remote work and just like creating more awareness about remote work so that we could have more people joining uh, the company from this region. So that's how I found myself in the heart of uh, remote work. And at the same time, I was like doing events, global events with international speakers. So um, when the pandemic hit, I was deep down in remote work. And when companies were like, you know, asking me to give inspirational speeches, they suddenly started asking for my consultancy. And that's how I started my second company, Happy Work Studio. So that's pretty much the story before pandemic. I think a lot of people are looking at freelancing, especially in an environment where um, the corporate jobs, as you refer to it, many of them are laying off people. Many of them are like likely looking for AI solutions to do more with fewer people. What do you think has changed about the freelancing landscape when you were first getting into the the, the world of freelancing, both in finding freelancers for your startup, but also it sounds like in part of your actual professional career, you're out there evangelizing the benefits of remote work and, and freelance and exploring freelance yourself. What's, you know, if we think of 2017, 2018 versus now, do you feel like there's more freelancers? Are parts of the world um, generating more freelancers? Maybe if I think to 2012, Back in, in my day, you know, it's a very specific kind of geographical point of view, but we had the same thing. It was kind of like North American companies, most were not remote in 2012. And if you wanted to outsource or freelance, there was maybe the Philippines or India or Pakistan, but it was kind of a very narrow uh, relationship. And it wasn't like we didn't think, oh, we'll just hire anyone from anywhere around the world. Eventually that happened. But I'm, I'm just curious. It sounds like this journey has gone from 2012 till now. So you have a a decade of perspective. What do you think has changed now or what's happening now as we look at almost 2024? 
Yeah, so when we were doing the presentations, all the expectations was showing 2023 to be the uh, to be the point where the the freelance thing uh, would be just like you know exponentially growing. So yeah. and that was back in 2012. But yes, it wasn't as popular as it is now because and the reason of our existence, like having dedicated people all around the world to create awareness about freelancing was because of that. We, I mean, even Upwork being like now the, the biggest freelancer platform in the world, even Upwork didn't have as many freelancers back then. And it wasn't as popular because people were still not okay. And with like, you know, being a freelancer about the job safety and just like, you know, about being able to earn as much because there weren't many jobs like quality high quality jobs either on the platform but now what i see is because i'm also doing sessions about like you know telling people about how to bid for the jobs how to find good jobs and they're just like telling me the prices have gone you know really at, to the lowest and the reason for that is i mean it depends on the quality of the job or like the level of expertise that is expected from the job i mean for things that can be automated or that can be done through ai like you know content generation or just like you know proofreading editing those kinds of things they they can be done through an ai solution so those things the prices price points have gone really to maybe to the lowest but the things that require your expertise, your like being human and just like, you know, your human skills, your soft skills, your expertise that you have accumulated over the course of time, those things are even more expensive and they are more valuable than what they used to be because it requires you to be like myself, let's say, let's say being a remote consultant, remote work consultant. It takes time because it takes some experience to just like you know test try observe and just like you know do things in the companies observe companies work with companies so you don't become like a remote work consultant overnight so those things that require like you know um more like skills and expertise now that i see more of those jobs being posted so i i mean i see jobs like you know 2k 5k 10k jobs now being posted on a freelancer platform which is not which was not the case back then but those jobs that are, can be as i said can be done with um you know the ai tool now we are seeing more agencies from the eastern part of the world like as you said like still pakistan india they're you know really dominant the, the, the place is really dominated by those like with uh, agencies so agencies are just like having freelancers, like the newbies, beginners, it's easier for them to just like, you know, start and just like, you know, get the gigs like that. So it is more, I think, just like the in terms of demography, in terms of the price points, in terms of the quality of the jobs, I think it has like evolved immensely over the uh, last decade. Um, can we talk a little bit about... Um the the turkish uh work ecosystem or remote work ecosystem i know that um this is from an outsider's point of view more of a north american point of view turkey is very famous um 
from the North American point of view as a beautiful place with beautiful islands, a very famous city that's in Europe and in Asia with Istanbul, famous coffee, famous his a thousand years or more of a famous civilization. But I don't think many people maybe know uh, if you were to say, you know, what is the tech ecosystem like in Istanbul or what are the cities that are the remote work hotspots? I think some of that is still emerging. And I'm just curious what you're seeing in terms of, uh, first of all, I guess maybe what is the capital city like for, is it somewhere where there's a co-working space on every block? Is it something where maybe that concept isn't quite there yet? And then are there regional areas or villages or cities that are emerging as nomad hotspots the way that some specific cities in Portugal, maybe not the biggest city, but some of the smaller cities in Bulgaria or Portugal, we see, oh, Bonsko in Bulgaria is becoming a small skiing town, is becoming a hotspot. Or Madeira, the island uh, where Cristiano Ronaldo is from, is, is now a, a nomad hotspot. Um, maybe they weren't so famous 10 years ago. What's it, uh, what's it like in Turkey in the last few years in terms of where the, uh, where the action is? Yeah, it's interesting because you know what? Back in 2012, when I was the Outwork uh, country representative, I was asked to find a co-working space that we could partner with to do our events so that our freelancers could use. And there was only one, like only one, which was not that big enough. Sorry, how and long ago was this when there was only one? This is 11, 11 years ago. Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You know, it was just before things were starting to happen. But sorry, sorry, go exactly. on. <laughs> but now, like around the corner, you would find one co-working at all, you know, sizes, at all scales, sizes, you know, verticals. Some is more impact driven. One is more like, you know, uh, more event driven. Like we have all, you know, the co-working space chains and, you know, places all around Turkey now, even um, like in the smaller cities. So in terms of that, it's been a thing over the last couple of years. And the tech ecosystem, we have like our developers, we have a strong developer ecosystem in Turkey. So we have some high quality developers, but they are still um, preferring to go to other countries, like immigrate to other countries rather than working remotely from Turkey. Because like the idea of like working remotely is still limited to the local companies. People do not think about being that borderless, like working for an American company. They just even now here in Turkey, they, when they talk about remote work, they are thinking about working remotely for a Turkish company or immigrating to another country. So, so they mean I the, just the I'm just going to stay home with my cat or my kids and I'm going to stay home. My exactly. office is 20 minutes away, but I remote work because I don't commute, not because I work for a Dubai company or a California company or a France company, French company. Um, it's just because it's, uh, uh, you know, a, a comfort maybe, but not the full international concept of remote work. Uh, do you exactly. see that so changing? Niche. Yeah, it is changing. Because when I was the country manager for crossover, I, and still, I mean, people sometimes like these like small communities, they ask me to do a session to talk about remote work, like literal remote work, like being working for a fully distributed company. I mean, I get the highest registration. I get the highest attendance, you know, when they compare to other sessions that they have, because like people are interested. They're really interested because our currency has devaluated 
by four times over the last two years. So um, just, you know, that there is that, you know, currency exchange benefit as well. So, you know, they can just like use that to their advantage. But at the same time, Turkey, so apart from Turkish people, Turkey is an interesting intersection point between Europe and Asia, between the, the Western world and the Eastern world. After the war, the Russian-Ukrainian war, now we see lots and lots of Russians and Ukrainians going to the southern cities of Turkey. So Antalya, Fethiye, they have been, you know, um, points of attraction for these remote workers, digital workers. And now we started seeing some, you know, uh, co-working spaces, co-living spaces, just like upping up in those regions. We even have an international Antalya co-work, um, and so like the, the 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 thing is now Turkey has become a point of interest for international digital workers as well because of affordability, because of the the climate especially in the southern parts of Turkey. And so they have, and because of visa issues or residency, it's really easy, convenient to be a digital worker in Turkey. And did you say since the war started in the Ukraine, in Ukraine last year that more Ukrainians and Russians or, or, or fewer are coming to Antalya more. in the south coast? More. More. So many who, yeah. um, for whatever their personal reasons are, they don't want to be part of what's going on or they're looking for, they're just looking to be somewhere else, which is very understandable. They might choose Turkey. And I guess that's because there must be some kind of, uh, um, usually with these things, it means there's some kind of visa reciprocity where um, m- maybe Turkey is a place that you, Ukrainians and Russians can go. Um, and it's mm-hmm. somewhere, uh, I mean, you know, similarly to, to Dubai, where pe- many people from across the world c- can come there. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it's it certainly, um, um, we'll see, you know, now now looking north and south, there are two wars in the area and, and Turkey is uh, an oasis of peace. You know, it's a, it's a peaceful place that uh, is in an area where things are happening. So, you've, you know, as, as unfortunate as it is, you may see more people coming to Turkey to live in peace. Um, I'm not sure, yeah. you know, depending on how long th- these things go on. But uh, um, yeah, so let's just talk about that a little bit what do you what do you find is the experience i mean if you can speak to this of someone who is not turkish coming to whether it's istanbul or whether it's ankara a smaller place on the south coast or the the islands what what do you find that people um anyone you meet that comes to turkey that isn't from turkey are there things that surprise them are there things that delight them is there something that you know are there misconceptions people have when they come to co-working spaces or and 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 do you see many of those people or is it kind of oh it's it's 95 percent turkish people maybe you know not very often someone comes to a co-working space and they're not turkish how how international is it and what is it like for people that are coming from elsewhere to experience turkey for the first time so southern cities like Antalya, now we see more international people coming. Yeah. In Istanbul, we have a huge expat community, huge digital mm-hmm. international digital uh, working community. And usually when people come, they uh, experience language barrier because like not in Istanbul specifically, but if they go to smaller cities um, like to the south, they usually uh experience that language barrier um and 
but what i have been hearing from them is one the the best thing is food so they yeah. love the food <laughs> the variety i mean you can just like you know find all kinds of food and just like you know at the affordable price and affordability affordability of housing affordability of uh, like lower living cost cost of living and like and more quality and the service quality health people are just like you know coming uh for health tourism even not made like you know uh it is like more affordable at a higher quality and the climate they people really enjoy it and even experiencing a language barrier they all say that turkish people are really hospitable so like the hospitality and, and i mean they you know try to serve your food they try to just like you know be conversational although they cannot talk in, in english so that has been uh what you know their experience so far what i have been hearing from the international people sometimes it is really annoying in the south of um, especially if you have like you know the utilities taken care of like to like get things fixed it may take longer than it takes in istanbul and sometimes they just like you know play games with international people and you know try to overcharge overprice so th- that's that's like the downsides of uh, being in turkey I want to talk about speaking of uh, people coming from elsewhere to Turkey. I want to talk about the Vivel Network event earlier this year and the one that's coming uh, later in Spain this year. But one more kind of question about Turkey. One thing I've noticed is that when I was at Running Remote this year, I noticed cities and regions like Tenerife in Spain or Buenos Aires in Argentina and and many others that were including the host city of Lisbon as well. Many others that were uh, running marketing campaigns that were specifically designed to attract digital nomads and remote workers. If you think of the classic tourism department of a city or a region, you know Napa Valley in California or uh, London, the city of London, or you know a certain region of any country, there's often you know the tourism department that's responsible for attracting people. It's not really most governments have not adapted. They don't have a dedicated ministry of remote workers or ministry of digital nomads. I think there's not many of those ministries, but I do see these local governments. It's official public officials that are saying, "Hey, we have an official campaign. It's not about tourism. It's not about vacations. It's about attracting remote workers." And I watched the Buenos Aires presentation and a few others earlier this year at Running Remote. Do you do you see any whether it's all of the, the Turkish federal government or cities or regions, do you see any of them looking to run marketing campaigns or specific programs to promote a region or bring someone, maybe Ankara in the South? Or is that something that just isn't on the radar of a, a government officials yet, if ever, in, in not Turkey? Yet. Not yet. Not yet. Unfortunately, <laughs> not yet. And that's why now I am doing the pre-work of establishing um, an association uh, in Turkey so that we become an official body to support. And also it's going to be like a development, first developing this so that we get the attention of the government and the support of the government and then make it even um, like a two-sided thing. Like one, 
uh, for the locals living here to just exploit that opportunity of being able to work for uh, remote companies and two, attracting more digital workers into Turkey and just like, you know, providing them benefits either with um, the tax or like the living conditions or the visa. So that's uh, why now we came together, like the seven uh, founders uh, of the association working on the legislative parts of it so that we can uh, gain more awareness about this and get that support from the government, but nothing yet, unfortunately. Well, that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm excited for the work you're doing. And uh, I was excited to hear about, uh, at the time, it was an upcoming event when we were talking in April, uh, but it happened in May. M- maybe you can tell us about the the Vivel Network event in Turkey. It, it, it happened in May, I think May 24th to 27th of this year, 2023. There's some lovely pictures of hot air balloons. And of course, I've seen yeah. the pictures and videos of the people that attended. Um, what was this? Maybe first of all, what was the region that people came to um, that has this wonderful landscape and all these hot, hot air balloons? If you can maybe educate some of our, our listeners who aren't familiar with all the parts of Turkey, where was the event and then um who came and 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 tell us a little bit more about uh why you started this event okay sure uh, so it's uh the brainchild of Lars and it's our baby uh with Lars and when we met a year and a half ago and he was so enthusiastic about this idea to bring in digital nomads remote work people and creators together uh, in the beautiful region of Turkey called Cappadocia. And so Cappadocia is like on the bucket list of most people around the world. So we said, okay, why not do it there? And just like bring in those people and form a community. Because what we thought was like the the remote work community, remote work people and the digital nomads and the Web3 people. So they actually share a lot of things in common but they don't come together. And we thought that Web3 people would benefit from the expertise, from the, the, you know, the business of remote work people, whereas remote work people and the creators can benefit from the, the Web3 people's know-how and their experience in bringing their business into Web3 in just like you know, keeping their businesses up to date. So that was the initial idea, but on the, networking side it also came from our own personal pain which you know even at running remote we were i i was like telling people i'm tired of the intentional networking because like you know there's so many people so many people that you want to meet that you want to talk but i mean there's so little time to do it or like you know you need to find those people just like you know use the app to just find each other or like send a message. So, and it's like energy draining. So we said, okay, we are going to keep this limited to a certain number of people so that we are going to create this intimate, close uh, group feeling where people stay in the same place, eat together, and just like, you know, be in the experience all throughout those three days and just like have a heart to heart, human to human connection, a deeper level connection so that business comes later. So initially we wanted people to just, you know, get to know each other in a way that's like, you know, like so natural, not business driven. 
and it happened in that way. So it was our dream and our dream came true. And it was not only networking, not only conferencing, not only entertainment, but it was like a combination of all, even the workshops, like self-development, business development. So we had different kinds of uh, workshops as well. We have remarkable DJ sets with uh, like the, the background, in the background, the balloons rising, you know, mm-hmm. waking up 4 a.m. in the morning, starting the party at 5 a.m. in the morning, ending it at 4 a.m. in the morning. So like it was really crazy and people loved it. And as I said, it was like a heart to heart, human to human connection. So we now have a growing number of community members. So if anyone just comes to the event, they become a community member, but community does not end at the end of the event. It goes on. So Vivelle is not only about the event itself, but it's like an ecosystem where it self-sustains itself, helps each other. So now we are at that phase of nurturing the community. And that's why we came up with this idea that, okay, each year we're going to do once in Cappadocia. That's going to be our signature event. And then another place around the world, and which happened to be Sevilla this time in December. So you will uh, have a an anchor or a, a continuity around Cappadocia being an annual event the, um, as a... Uh, maybe a sign of the success of what happened earlier this year. You're you're uh, you're you're ready to commit to Cappadocia. Um, I, I'm I just looked it up exactly. The it's kind of in the central region. What uh, was yep. your event uh, on the Black Sea or was it inland? I'm just looking for anyone that's maybe inland. looking up. Is it inland? So inland. Have- so it's a bit south to Ankara. Got it. Southeast to Ankara. That's great. Yeah. So how did you um, how did you choose? Cappadocia in particular, and then maybe what thinking went into choosing Seville or Sevilla, uh, as the locals call it, um, for your upcoming event? What what criteria do you use to say this would be a good place for an event of, you know, thousands of places around the world you could choose? Well, it's it was Lars's idea. So that's yeah. why actually I accepted his offer because like he came to me saying that, you know, I'm planning to do an event in Cappadocia, Adana and Mersin. And he actually didn't say Marsin, but it was like a, a small, small little town in the south called Posante. And even not many Turkish people know about that little town. When he told me that he wanted to do <laughs> event there, I was like, come on, like, who is this crazy guy trying to do this <laughs> event? And I yeah. said, okay, hell yes. Because like, you know, how crazy can you be? Like picking that, you know, small town on the way just on the mountains of tourist mountains so that was his idea Cappadocia. but then the earthquake happened in turkey it was a massive earthquake and adana was also impacted so we said okay we are not going to go to the southern cities but just like stick to cappadocia and have the conference up in the mountain in kayseri and kayseri is like the the, the airport the other airport city so that's how we decided to do it there. And the reason for Cappadocia was that uh, whatever we do, we really want to create an experience. So Vivel is about an experience. Vivel is about how you feel and how people feel when they attend the event. So, and Cappadocia has this mystic and, um, you know, um, like both emotional and also beautiful 
uh, state where we could have that DJ sets, like a circle style. I mean, mm -hmm. we always had that, you know, view, the vision of building those circle style, um, you know, areas, the DJ sets with a beautiful view. Uh, and that's how the, the idea was created. And that's what it happened. Like, you know, even the footage, the video footage, like, you know, igniting the fire. It's like, you know, totally in line with what we want to create as a feeling, as an experience with Vivelle. Amazing. And then how um, how did you choose Sevilla? Uh, for, for the listeners, us Anglo speakers have called it Seville. Uh, but the right way to say it, according to the Spanish, is more like Sevilla. So I just want to say that so people aren't confused we're talking about Sevilla in in Spain how did you identify that location as a good location for the next upcoming event so as I said we are always looking for those unique places like where we can have whenever we're choosing a place we're thinking about the the backdrop like how would that look with the DJ set? How would that look in the footage? How would people feel being immersed in that moment, being immersed in that, you know, the atmosphere, the uh, the city, the vibe of the city? So we said, okay, South Spain, and we started looking on the map, trying to just like you know identify those cities that we could just like you know possibly do the event. And we said, why don't we just like, you know, go for Sevilla? I mean, we knew it from the football club. So we knew that it was like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a popular city in terms of football and Andalusian um, history. So it was like, you know, a combination of the like the Eastern vibes and the Western vibes. And so like the Arabic, some like Arabic touch. So we said, okay, let's go and do it and just like give it a try. I had a contact there. I just like reached out to him and like in the next 24 hours, we even had our hotel just booked. So it was like, it happened so quick. Got it. Well, that's really exciting. Um, you've mentioned a few different categories or themes in talking about Viva. I've, I've heard Web3. I know music and DJing is a big part of it. It sounds like, um, you know, high quality networking and entrepreneurship is part of it. In the coming years, do you see other themes emerging? Everybody's really hot on AI. There are other things emerging. In 2025, are there new trends that you could see becoming part of the fabric of the Vivel ecosystem? And how do you think about who goes, you know, or not who goes, but mm -hmm. who you market to, to, you know, attract people? When you do marketing, of course, you have to choose who are you going to attract? And, you know, it could be anyone, sure. But it, it does seem like it's a smaller curated group. So I imagine you think about who you're trying to attract. And I'm just curious how you think about the future and, and any learnings from who came to the last event and whether you need to adjust or how you look at the strategy there. So as I was talking about, like, you know, the heart to heart connection, the human to human connection, that's exactly how everything ended up like you know we were not going after yes we were targeting the web3 people remote work people but we realized that the what really brought these people together were how they were just like you know thinking about the world how they wanted to be about like the the, the common purpose the common values the common belief and uh that the responsibility that they felt towards the future, the 
the of the world and just like in general to each other so the trends i mean co-creation is definitely one of our values at vival so if you are a person who believes in co-creation not being like a solo but like you know believing in the power of the community being uh believing in the co-creation that's by the way exactly how it happened at vival for the conference we were outside planning it outside everything was set then a rain started and all of our participants they started carrying the chairs inside and they were not bothered at all because we were literally co-creating the experience together so whoever is just like you know sharing that idea and future of living is a strong point of Vivel as well. So it's not only about the future of work, but about the future of living, sustainable living, giving back to the community, be, building sustainable communities, building um, living areas where there are ecosystems and the ecosystems are self-sustainable and just like, you know, feeding each other. So we are all about the mindset. So we don't really care what you do for life, but if you share these common beliefs, these common values and interested in learning more about how to just like, you know, maybe even start your career in remote work or Web3, you're more than welcomed because it's all about like how you are just like, you know, what kind of a person you want to be on this earth. I think for a lot of listeners, hearing about remote work and some of the events that happen and some of the culture of remote work I still think the vast majority, billions of people, hundreds of millions of people who are over 25, let's say, might think, oh, you know, going to Bali, going to Lisbon, going to Cappadocia for Vivel, it sounds like something that a 22-year-old does with a backpack, and that's not for me. Um, but I do think my... <laughs> I started this podcast, so I, I clearly I have a bias that remote work is for everyone. But what would you say to someone who has children or has a family and is thinking about remote work, thinking about remote work events, like events that the Vival Network puts on? How should they be thinking about the future? And do you encounter people like that, whether with Vivel or in other aspects of your consulting or your, your professional life, where someone who's like over 25 just says, I don't think this, I think this is just for young people that have no responsibilities. Of course, they can go around in a backpack and stay in a hostel, but you know, the grownups need to stay at home and go to the office. And that's what being an adult is. Do you, do you get into those kinds of conversations with, um, I don't even want to say older, older nomads. I just mean literally people that are over 23, you know, uh, what, what, what kinds of, um, have you ever kind of, uh, got into those kinds of conversations about like, uh, you know, being a remote worker or nomad and how that fits with having family or having responsibilities or having a partner um, and how that, you know, how people can navigate that. I used to get into to those conversations even more uh, frequently uh, before the pandemic. Now people want to be part of this move. But yeah. the thing is, yeah, I mean, so it wasn't like something cool. They were just like thinking this is like, as you said, this is like a backpack style lifestyle and they don't belong to that. Well, I'm 42. I have two kids and just like, you know, even like the older one's 12. So I mean, I'm like a experienced mother living this remote work uh, lifestyle. And we had a participant, Lynn, who was a grandmother to seven grandchildren. So wow. I mean, 
Yeah, so and she was one of the most active participants throughout the event. And so that's what I mean by mindset. And the reason why we are doing these events at you know decent hotels, decent places, we are curating the event in a way that I don't like to call it like high quality, but these are we are not doing the events at hostels or like, you know, low budget places. We are like moderate they're moderately priced and a bit over you know the the moderate so that we are creating an experience for everyone so because like we also want to break that bias about remote workers being only backpackers i mean you can do backpacking but if if you only want to do it like that because like remote workers this is by research as well they are making more money than any office worker so on average remote work gives people access to more money more you know flexibility and it's i as i said it's all about the mindset if you're a traveler if you want to just like you know explore new places get to know people from different cultures from different countries then vivel is the right place to be so i cannot limit that to you know a specific group of people to age gender you know even like uh, like a job I think it's all about like how you are uh, on this earth, like being a human being, what kind of a human being you are, just like what kind of an experience you want to live, what kind of an experience you want to share with others. And so that brings, you know, those like-minded people together at Vivel. Maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, Happy Work Studio. You help companies transform their workplace to be more remote friendly. How does that work? Um, it, it looks like you started a couple of years ago. Um, what kinds of companies are your clients and what do you do on a, on a day-to-day basis? Like what are the, what are kind what are some of the blind spots that, that companies have that you can help them with? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I started a company after the pandemic where companies started asking for consultancy before that, it was just like, you know, a gig thing. Uh, I'm working, I, I worked and still working with companies at all scales. I mean, I worked with one of the biggest global alcoholic beverage companies in the world. I worked with one of the car battery companies and a, like a holding company. I work with a startup, still now working with a small scale startup with 10 people. So regardless of the size, I mean, the, the scope of the project changes. But the essence does not change. And what I just, you know, teach them is to just how to make remote work work in the right way. Because usually the companies think that, okay, we are just like giving this benefit to our employees so that they can work remotely without changing the way they work. So like, you know, sticking to their old ways of communicating, old ways of doing meetings, old ways of doing everything. So. I help them through redesigning everything that they do in the company to be in line with this new way of working. And so we look at their meetings, the rules, we define a frame. And within that frame, we let them just like, you know, operate and on day-to-day basis. So that's one thing, what we design, we design their remote uh, policies, remote handbooks, and also 
first we, before starting we do, do an assessment we now have actually a new assessment by remote first institute i'm one of the founding members of remote first institute as well we have an ai uh remote work assessment tool and i first use that identify the weak points areas of improvement and spend more time on those and just like you know tweaking refining what they uh have been doing and two I work with companies to on their values, on the company purpose. And so not all the companies have their purpose. They have their mission and vision statements, but not the purpose. Purpose is um, a stronger thing. And if you have a purpose, if you have a company purpose, then all your, your employees wake up to a morning with that strong purpose and just like being part of that purpose. So I help them find that purpose connect that to the mission and the values and then the behavior so that the values are not you know those words on the wall but they are just like you know being lived in the company and also do well-being programs happiness programs in at individual and corporate level happiness at work and just like designing their well-being programs their happiness programs so that employees are just not dreading the mondays and just like enjoy what they do at work. A lot of companies, I think in the 2021 timeframe, as the pandemic was getting, you know, going through its, its waves, many CEOs in North America said, we're going remote forever. You know, we believe in remote work. We understand that this is the future, whether the pandemic pushed them or they just decided to give in to the needs of their employees. It was a time two or just two years ago or two and a half years ago when there were so many jobs in tech and the knowledge workers maybe had some leverage over the employers. Now in North America in 2023 and, and around the world a little bit, but my I understand sort of my view of looking at some of the, the North American tech companies. They're saying, you know, we need to get back to the office. We need to go three days a week. Maybe we were wrong about remote work. We've realized that we can't substitute the in-person connection and we just need to get back to hybrid we need to offer incentives and so there is this kind of counter revolution this the pendulum swinging back and maybe remote work isn't quite so popular with the leadership as it was 2 years ago and maybe that's because 2 years ago it was a necessity and now they're realizing employers are realizing they have more leverage do you see the same kind of thing happening in Turkey and with clients you're working with where the leadership wants to bring people back and you have to kind of advocate or push through maybe a change in sentiment uh, now versus two years ago when it was more obvious that to avoid COVID, we need to go into remote work back then? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's the same thing all around the world. And when I see that, I just like, you know, tell people that there's, there's a, totally a trust issue. I mean, if you don't, and it first starts with yourself, then you are not trusting yourself with your management skills. And two, you're not trusting the employees. And so I think the biggest thing is about trust. But it is happening. I mean, no matter what they do, no matter what they think, because this is not about the location only. This is how, this is how we do our work. So like from 10, maybe like 20 years from now, we won't even use remote to define the work. It's going to be with the work. It's going to be how we work. 
because now this is like the transition and the pain of transition. All the executives still, the people who are ruling, they're from the past generation. So they're trying to unlearn and just like practice something and to make it happen. And when they see that it's not totally happening because they're not, you know, really just like getting into the sea, but just like tipping their toes in the sea and not getting quite getting it. And they say, okay, let's, the sea is cold. I, I'm not going to just like swim, they say. But they don't know what, how it feels like to be like, you know, immersed in the sea, to have that freshness, to just like, you know, feel that flexibility because they only tip their toes and they said it's cold and just like backed up. So this is going to happen when this new generation is going to be at the executive roles, ruling the companies, because there's no way back to the, the, the original because that was designed, that kind of work was designed for the industrial revolution. That was like designed um, in a way that, you know, uh, we, we had to have the quality and uh, quantity over quality because we needed the quantity. But now ev we, even the data is not as, you know, um, valuable as it was like back in the 90s. So now humans are more valuable. Human skills are more valuable. Talent is more valuable. Talent is scarce. And in order to keep the talent, they will be losing this war. I call it yeah. a war. Yeah, it is. Fight, a... <laughs> you know? Because like this is like talent asking for it. And that the executives are just like calling them back. It's not about like, you know, where they work from. It's about how they work. And they're totally missing this point. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a war. And sometimes companies won't realize how they're hollowing out their company and not attracting some of the best people. It might look like the office is full again, but it's filtered out many, many talented people who simply have the power. They have the leverage with their skills and talents to say, I would like to work remote. And those people won't be there. So there might be people there, but which people? And um, and that I think is going to play out like a big scientific experiment. It's a war, but it's also a scientific experiment of, on the one hand, companies that force people in the office and the others that don't. We don't know how it will play out, but we're certainly going to see in the next few years. Um, I'm just as we get to the end of our of our time together this hour, I'm curious if there's anything you're really excited about. It could be somewhere you're personally traveling to as a remote worker or something you're launching. But as you look at the next year, what's exciting for you in the world of remote work in 2024? So what creates more impact always, you know, makes me enthusiastic so now we will be launching a program with the remote works uh, remote skills academy as going to be a virtual assistant program where we will teach people how to be virtual assistants and hopefully place them into jobs so i really want to use the leverage of remote work to educate more people and give them flexibility there is another initiative we started during the, the earthquake, after the earthquake. We um, started this initiative calling for applications from the earthquake victims and just um, connecting them to the clients' available jobs of uh, remote.com. So now we are at a point to see the results of those matches. So those kind of things, those kind of projects are really making me enthusiastic. And now 
founding this association so that we create more awareness around remote work and about just like, you know, being in this region, more prevalent in this region is also making me enthusiastic and the happiness programs because I'm delivering happiness at work program, the global cohort with Happitude. And I'm also doing the Turkish uh, programs about happiness. So that's where my heart is really beating at. And I love delivering those programs. I love to make people more aware about what could be the options in their lives, not to be trapped in, you know, what they have been experiencing, what they have been seeing from their parents, but just like discovering this whole new world out there. Amazing. Well, put everything in the show notes. If people want to learn more about your initiatives or anything, um, is there somewhere they should go if they want to follow you or follow Vivelle or follow anything you're doing uh, that we can direct our listeners to? Yeah. So my Instagram, my LinkedIn is the, the most active. So if they just like, you know, follow me on LinkedIn, they would be up to date with what I'm doing. My Instagram is more about like the programs or retreats and like Vival and Vival also has a separate uh, Instagram account and Happy Work Studio is our corporate page where you can see all the services that we are providing and there's also a contact form. So if they fill out the contact form, they can also learn more about the services, but drop me a message on LinkedIn and I'll be back in like in the next 24 hours. That's the easiest. Great. We'll put uh, that in the show notes and make sure that people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about Vivel or all the other things that uh, that you're working on. So Mina, thanks so much. It's been great to have you on Remotely Serious. I'm excited for all the things you're working on. And uh, yeah, Sevilla, Cappadocia, they're definitely on my map now. And uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the growth of Vivel, of your initiatives and everything. Thank you. It was great. Uh, the com- I really enjoyed the conversation and thanks for having me in the show. No problem. We'll, we'll, we'll end it on that. In the podcast right now, what, what you'll hear is the music will be playing and eventually my voice will drown out and this is it. We're done. Thanks everyone. And uh, yeah, have a good time. We'll see you at the next episode. Bye.